Hello and welcome to the second episode of Little Grey Cells. I'm not going to try and sing the Poirot theme tune again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we are on season one, episode two, Murder in the Muse. And uh, we are joined today by Chris Thurston. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. And me, Pip. Pillipa, Pillipa War. <laughs> Pillipa. I know my own name. <laughs> it's going well. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. If you like, I can sing the Deus Ex theme tune. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Chris has, has postulated <laughs> that they may be the same. <laughs> and as opposed to whatever the pyro theme is, which I've now forgotten. They are very different. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, <laughs> yes, I think this is the first time you'd ever seen the intro, the art I'm, deco. If it was the same on the cook one, I must have seen it then, because I watched that episode like a couple of months ago. Oh, okay. Um, but I didn't, it didn't register for me. This, this time it very much did register. <laughs> it's a weird thing. It, it is very Deus Ex in another way, which is that Poirot dissolves into triangles several <laughs> times. Yeah. As if in a special vision mode of Adam Jensen. Well, what I really like is that the triangles seem to denote almost like a prism that you're looking through but they don't correspond with the prism effect that's actually applying to him (laughs) so the fact that he's got multiple eyes through the you know like he's got two right eyes because of how the prism is working but none of that none of the planes of that actually work with the triangles that are overlaid so it's really weirdly interesting although this is a a watch along podcast i sort of hope you haven't watched it because (laughs) that description is all the more fascinating if you're trying to imagine it from scratch it's quite trippy it's it's still strikes me like how how trippy it is it is sort of like the latter stages of a night out with pyro where he's fine <laughs> and he's walking well, he's off down the street also to get his grinning like home. a madman yeah like, looking at you and just like a smile that just keeps growing for he's, like he's handling it seconds. much better than you are so he's just like completely sober and off on his merry way home and you're what, <laughs> yeah, absolutely hammered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> left in the gutter i've been a, i'm on an yeah i've just had loads of absinthe and i've been abandoned by poirot in an art deco <laughs> cartoon train station is my full take i think on that intro sequence well the deus ex theme tune plays yeah, exactly. <laughs> someone's playing deus ex next to me <laughs> well after poirot sort of goes towards the light uh for for <laughs> as per usual in this intro sequence uh we are now at a bonfire night celebration which, timely well kind of although maybe we should have if we delayed all of this by a week we, we could delay actually... this episode we could just release it later that's true although yeah we oh might not be that ultimately important. the benefit of that is not great <laughs> no i suppose not um but yeah so we sort of open on bonfire night and uh, a bit of chit chat amongst hastings poirot and jap who are all hanging out at, yeah they just uh, hang out socially i guess that's just i think they've started go to for a stroll this, or the although evening. yeah like <laughs> they kind of knew each other before but apparently yeah just chilling taking in some fireworks <laughs> wasn't so it's been a while since i saw the previous episode but um it seemed like there was not that great a relationship between poirot and jap like jap was sort of mocking poirot for what he was doing and yeah i can't remember exactly when the previous one was set this one's set in 1935 so maybe a bit of time has passed because ah, i mm. think because they're not going in chronological order the previous right. one wasn't the first Poirot, if you see what I mean, chronologically mm. anyway. So, yeah. Like- it wasn't Baby Poirot the early years. 
I think Young I Poirot. mentioned this last week, but the first one is like, um, it, it has him sort of settling into England and he meets up with Hastings, who he knew before, but like hasn't seen in years. So this is very much not from that period. It's it, it was sort of jumping around a bit, I think. Um, but yeah, and I kind of like, or not like, but, you know, Jab seems to really sort of have a low opinion of his wife's tolerance of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. feel like they've just had a row or something. He says she doesn't like fireworks, and then Poirot jumps in with, oh, I must offend um, the delicate sensibilities of many women, and... Uh, <laughs> which is already sexist. And then uh, Jap says, no, she just doesn't like people having fun. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like maybe she was like, I really would like it if you didn't go and hang out with those other two this evening. Maybe we could have a nice evening in. And he's just like, Oh, you hate fun, do you? (laughs) So they had a row and he left and he's still being... (laughs) I want to spend an evening walking around in the dark outside with my work colleague and his friend. (laughs) (laughs) Who I don't know that well. (laughs) to really take in the fireworks they just go past that building where it's all lads 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 yeah the, the, the uh like five-man party on a balcony where they're just like spraying champagne on each other but also there seem to be people just below that who are like either trying to get into the building or are looking up like i can't work they out must be getting splashed because was... there's a lot of champagne coming off that balcony yeah like was that a feud or was it people <laughs> arriving at the party to go up to the balcony <laughs> it, they are i mean this is Actually, the whole sequence has a, quite a lot of early contenders for extras of the, like, background extras of the episode. Uh, yeah. Like, we're going to get a lot more as the episode goes on, but I did, like, they themselves and how weird that is and the notion that obviously the directors have to tell them, like, stand in the background, just don't stop throwing <laughs> champagne at each other until Jake. we get this there's shot. Something, I, I wouldn't have sort of um, known this without seeing it, but there's, like, the relationship between how hard people are partying and how many of them there are there there's a strict constraints on that and they are partying too hard for there being only like four of them yeah. <laughs> they're like really going nuts and it's like uh, i don't think if, I, if you were like amongst them it would just be weird that they were acting that hard especially that quietly as well <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah that's they, true they, they really, hear them. yeah because they're extras right so they're partying but they can't make a sound <laughs> <laughs> silently partying on a tiny balcony <laughs> But as they're walking along, Hastings with his his characteristic subtlety and sort of has this opening gambit of conversation. What a great night for a murder! <laughs> yeah, Hastings taking a surprising pro murder stance in this episode. Just seems to think it's but, you know not awesome. not, just, not, just, not to spoil anything at all. But it turns out Hastings again completely wrong about anything that might be happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of right in the sense that someone dies. But mm. I mean, that's yeah. about I. Yeah, it is a fabulous night for a murder, though. And he says this to the uh, chief inspector of Scotland, yeah, <laughs> and the world's most famous detective. That's why I like to think that um, uh, the chief inspector doesn't know Hastings that well. Like he's sort of friends with Priory, but hasn't really met, hasn't really um, got to know Priory's friend that well. And then Priory's <laughs> friend just comes out with this thing: of, like, "Wouldn't it be great to murder someone tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's just suddenly a bit like, maybe staying in with Mrs. Chapman is the worst <laughs> yeah. idea? My wife doesn't like fun, but she also doesn't like murder. Which... <laughs> and then, like, Hastings says it all over again and then wanders away <laughs> through a bunch of fireworks. Through a bunch of urchins who prank him while he's not looking. <laughs> well, no, because they're just sort of setting fire to fireworks in the street, oh, yeah, right? And he specific. just sort of wanders into them without <laughs> looking where he's going while, this you is... know, bidding Poirot farewell. Very relatable scene because um, recently when I was cycling home, um, I could see um, a sort of kid ahead of me, like a girl of maybe 14 or something. Um, 
uh, maybe more like 12. And, uh, as I got closer, I realized, um, that ahead of her was like a line of apples on the path. And she had lined up apples so that it completely covered the path. Uh, like little, uh, small ones just from a, a nearby tree, not really like eating size. But there was a lot of care that gone into this. And the closer I got, the more I realized, like, I can't really just cycle through this. This is obviously like a work that she's, it's a project <laughs> that she's engaged in. And she was looking at me, like, not in any kind of, I don't know, she just glanced at me, but I couldn't read her at all. She wasn't, um, didn't seem overly concerned. I think she was sort of like seeing me and just accepting that, oh, my work is going to be destroyed now. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't want to destroy her work, so I kind of veered off and went like onto the grass. And I sort of pretended I was just going to take, there's another path over there. So I sort of pretended I was just going to take that. And then when I went past, I just veered back on to where I was going. I didn't quite know the etiquette there. Like, I don't want to destroy her work, but should I make it clear that I'm intentionally avoiding her work or should I pretend I'm not even doing that? It may have also been a trap, Tom. <laughs> yeah. If, if you ever want to set an ambush for me, just put a row of apples in front of wherever you don't want me to go. Maybe she was trying to make apple juice or something and you ruined it. Like she was like, if I do it like this, someone will have to go over them. Damn it. Another one has avoided it. <laughs> And she looked at you like, okay, cool, great, plan, plan is actionable. Good. I do feel some sympathy for Hastings in this scene, though, because it is very difficult to know how to not show fear or shame when frighteningly shamed by <laughs> urchins. Um, <laughs> Why to you are lot. you saying urchins? They were just kids. But in olden times. Yeah, they were olden times street kids. Well, they were wearing hats. I don't know. I'd go with urchins. <laughs> You know, like I've been walking down this bridge uh, that we have to go underneath, like a pedestrian bridge on the way to the shops. And uh, I remember once I was walking down there and a bunch of kids, urchins, I might say, um, <laughs> were just throwing water balloons off it just onto passersby. That's kids. Yeah, it was just kids. <laughs> and it was that thing where it's like, you have to walk, you have to go this way, uh, yeah. but you also have to make it look like you haven't noticed or aren't <laughs> phased in any way. And just kind of just keep, you know what I mean? Like maintaining your dignity as an adult in that scenario. Because if you... I quite liked your response though. Well... You crossed the road underneath the bridge so they couldn't see you and were expecting you to come out. At oh, yeah, I came out the other side. Point. Yeah, I got underneath the bridge and crossed the road and went up the other side. But you know what I mean? <laughs> it's still like um you have to – it's a tricky situation to negotiate. I'm not saying Hastings handles it very well in that moment because <laughs> he tends to jump up and down and shout and go like, and then sort of run away, but <laughs> <laughs> thus giving them everything they want. But, um, yeah, nonetheless, it's a difficult situation. And again, Hastings remains the human heart of the show in that regard, <laughs> encountering the problems everyone encounters mostly and then some of his own making. Well, he's gone to pick up his car. Yeah. And then cut to the next morning mm. at Poirot's. Breakfast at Poirot's. Well, and Poirot is in quite the state, is he not? He really doesn't want to go to the dentist. Well, he doesn't want to go to the dentist, and uh, the laundry that he uses is aggressively starching his collars. Oh, I what... thought they were under-starching it. I think it's over-starching, because he's pulling at them. He's unhappy with the level of starch mm. that is it, happening with his collar. He goes collar. so far to speculate that they are in the pay of his enemies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the combination of Pyro tugging at his collar and his other otherwise expressed uh, fear of going to the dentist, because... Poirot's teeth are perfect and nobody should touch them ever. Um, he considers it sacrilege that, that, that anyone could think that it's perfect. It make me feel like the last time someone made him go to the dentist or vet, he had to wear a cone. Like there's some kind of... Like, like, like Poirot will not wear the cone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... But then luckily for him and unluckily for the people involved, 
uh, a murder happens or a, a death happens rather and he has to he has to cancel his dental appointment yeah. and scuttle off to meet Jap. And specifically yeah. this this death was uh from a gunshot which is exactly the thing that Hastings said could be covered by the sound of fireworks mm-hmm. and it was in the same muse hence the name of the episode where Hastings keeps his car. Do you remember what it was called? Uh, I think it was Hastings. <laughs> he just shot a guy. <laughs> just shot an he shot <laughs> Um It's called... No. Muse. <laughs> no Muse is good news. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sorry, what are we trying to remember? The Muse. What was it called? Oh, no, I didn't. Bloomsbury. It was Barsley Garden Muse. Barsley ah. Garden. Okay, fine. <laughs> what? Oh, it's a good memory. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, Hastings would be first on your list of suspects, mm-hmm. wouldn't he? Do you think Great maybe- night for a murder, someone gets murdered. Well, do you think maybe we skipped over the scenes where they investigated Hastings, <laughs> or like where Jap was doing a quick background check on this dude? <laughs> I think like it's olden times enough that they probably wouldn't investigate their friends, mm. but also in this episode is featured somebody who believes he should not be investigated in any sense uh, Especially because of his status. who went to Eton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, so they go they go along to uh, Muse. Oh, what if Hastings actually used this murder slash suicide um, as cover for his own murder? <laughs> and when that gun went off, he also simultaneously killed an urchin. <laughs> probably never solved that one because it was so perfectly covered up. If Hastings turns out to be the most amazingly smart villain, who's like <laughs> hiding in plain sight right in front of Pyro, then that would be an incredible twist ending to Pyro. But I suspect that's not the case. <laughs> You've never seen the final episode, I have you? No. Well, look forward to. I mean, it's like not uh, too many logical leaps away from the plot of Dexter. <laughs> that's true. God. Dexter has gone weird to the point where I'm at anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so they go along and they essentially get let into this house that has a harp just in the middle of it. That seems to be the... It's an interesting house. <laughs> it's, it's very much like two single women in the 30s and their collection of busts and harps. Yeah, there is a scene where they're interviewing the lady who lives here. In the background on the mantelpiece, there is the most enormous statue of a horse's head just screaming. <laughs> like its mouth is just kind of open in a really unnatural way. And it's like, it's about a foot and a half tall and three feet wide. <laughs> it's a good set, basically. So the, well, the dead lady is called Barbara Allen. Did we ever establish what she actually does? Is she just is a Is she the Flash? <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, she is, actually. She's a female version of the Flash. But uh, like... But that's why she's a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> She is literally a photographer. Yeah, fair enough. No, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> the, like, cause, someone yeah. says um, uh, she's a photographer or something along those lines. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, what what's the that. other thing along those lines? A painter. In those days? But that's not <laughs> a very quick painter. <laughs> Jap is very sort of very quick cyborg painter. <laughs> he's not supposed to be very culturally like astute, so uh, perhaps right. they're all the same to him. So but... it's meant to indicate that he sort of is dismissive. It's not a real uh, job, right? Heart but also, if she's fancy, she might just dabble. <laughs> There's a lot of dabbling that happens amongst the. If you can afford a horse head classes. statue like that, you can afford to. Or a harp. Harps are not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> just got one Was it established around. if one of them played the harp? Not at all. I think it cropped up as like a prop also, in some of the photos. Man, if it was the victim who played the harp, um, I'm sure left or right handedness comes into that. We're skipping ahead well, a bit there, Tom. You could just sit either <laughs> side of it. They're not double sided. Yes, they are. Oh, yeah, you're right. Thanks. But, I mean, like, the I mime playing a harp to solve that. There's a seat involved, right? You've got to sit down, so the seat might be on the side that's, like... You can probably move the chair. 
Well, yeah, you could, but... Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, we're showing, like, Hastings and Jap... All of the scene levels here. <laughs> so they go into the bedroom of the lady who uh, has died, and they start trying to ascertain whether it was suicide as was initially sort of proposed by the lady who she lives with who reported it to the police or whether perhaps an murder has occurred <laughs> <laughs> so yes what did so, you um, well her story um the uh housemate story is that she came home and found the door locked to this room and became concerned and get response called the police police broke it down found uh the body in there body is lying on the floor with a gun in her left hand a bullet wound in her left temple um and the gun has not been well placed in her hand and also its fingerprints are only the forefinger and thumb which is um according to one of the inspectors uh what you see if someone has just sort of pushed a gun into somebody's hand and not actually used it I also like that because she was shot in the head in a late 80s, 90s British TV show, uh, the only effect this has is she looks like she's sort of gone to sleep on the floor with a bit of jam. (laughs) (laughs) A tiny circle of jam. Um, But um, yes, so and then so various things happen. So Poirot sniffs as he enters the room. Poirot also looks at her watch, um, which to me was, because I'm left-handed, was the first, oh, she is actually left-handed thing. Or at least... Someone has gone to the effort of, you know, I didn't know at that point whether or not it's, someone's gone to the effort of, really gone to the effort of making her look left-handed, but the fact mm. that the show dwelled on that and, you know, I didn't have to hold my hands up and remember where I wear a watch, but that was, you know, full on, yes, she's actually left-handed. <laughs> Poro was also going through the bins. When isn't he? I mean, yeah, he goes through many bins in this in this set of scenes, just having a look around, <laughs> having a scuffle, like a little raccoon. He's mm. quite like a raccoon, actually. He is. He Does is. he find anything in the bins? Well, they both have paper, but he's not finding what he's looking oh, he, for. He anything. unfolds like a screwed up photo at some point, doesn't he? So there's I could, a screwed didn't know if there was a significance photo. to that. And there's also, I think, in the first bin that he goes through is a copy of the Times or something. Just, <laughs> you know, it's a screwed up thing. Uh, but they also find a what uh, later turns out to be a cufflink in this room. A piece of a cufflink. Mm-hmm. So, how do you yeah. break your cufflink? That takes some doing, right? Well, I think it's, um, you know how when you've got like maybe a badge that's got some enamel work on the top oh, and yeah. that bit comes off and mm-hmm. the, the rest of it, the, the base bit is fine, but you mm. lose the, the design bit. I think it was that. Yeah. But it's weird because you're sort of thinking, so the whole thing kind of looks like a, a murder uh, stage to look like a suicide. And so the cufflink is a sign of a struggle. Uh, and also, you know, if you can find out whose it is, then it will tell you who. Um, but later, uh, it transpires that, um, this cufflink was indeed left by there by the person they think it was left by there by, but there was no struggle, I think, in the real story. And so it just kind of fell off just randomly. <laughs> I think it's just that luck. you might just like lose bits of your, I mean, you know, you might leave a hair behind or you might leave, you know, a button. If it gets, <laughs> I, I feel like know. I lose a lot more hairs than I do cufflinks. <laughs> Don't wear cufflinks <laughs> often, but. So you should really wear a hairnet if you're, you know, <laughs> around doing your any crimes. Yeah. I mean, one of those, just like a shower cap. <laughs> I think the, stu- the weird thing is, though, even though they're saying there's all these discrepancies and all of these things that make it look like she wasn't, that she was shot with the hand that she doesn't actually use. They they say, oh, well, we're only really investigating this because we couldn't o- unlock the window. 
Like that's mm. the that's the only thing that is the, like the door was locked and the key to the door is not in the room. And I think the key to the window isn't in the room right. either. So it's like someone must have locked it. Yeah, on their they say way that if if they'd found the key on the inside of the room, so she'd locked herself in, it would just be a an open and shut case. An mm. open and shut case with loads of suspicious elements. Yeah, that yeah. I have a I have a thing about this that we return to when we know what actually happened. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, it's a bit of a stretch the reason that the photo is important it's it's a sort of sultry photo of barbara's fiance who we haven't met yet is it i thought, I it, thought was. it was a picture of either her or miss plenderleaf who is her housemate i thought it was him no because i thought it was a lady like but that. i didn't know who hmm <laughs> i have to watch it again because i thought i thought the purpose of the photo was it was proof that she really loved him I actually, I didn't really know what was going on, but um, I, th- <laughs> I thought the picture was a woman. And I went, because at the time Poirot kind of unveils it, he says something to, to her about, um, also oh, you were fond of your friend. And I thought it might have been a photo of the victim and that it was kind of like a sensual photo that she had taken. So she was implying. Uh, yeah, I guess were. it depends because which one of them is the photographer. Well, she's slagging off, um, Barbara Allen's fiance because she's saying that he's common and pompous and like, mm. Poirot says, oh, but, you know, uh, is, is that a, a failing that people will consider? And she says, oh, I don't know. And, <laughs> you know, but, and then he holds me. it up as if, like, oh, I don't think she would be, like, bothered by yeah. it or something. Yeah, like, that's right. It's, I think it's yeah. that she, she's... That's why I thought it was a picture of him. Ah, uh, because I thought maybe it was a picture of her because he's sort of talking about her in kind of a fond way as he says it. Maybe. I don't know. I, I thought it was a picture of him for that reason, as in, like, she didn't think he was common and pompous because yeah. he has this sexy photo. But yeah, <laughs> and then the rest of it. But the thing is, at, at this point, we just sort of cut to that five-year-old maid for some reason. <laughs> it looks like a child in a maid's costume. This is a, you know, she a great has extra. absolutely no other role within this. She's had one other acting job in her life, according to IMDb, <laughs> and she just is, like, gesticulating wildly as they chat about the left-handed, right-handed thing. Well, when you have children on set, there's very strict rules about how many hours a day they can work, so, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so she true. couldn't Maybe be featured any more heavily on that. Up. <laughs> but it's just a child in a maid outfit. Like, they don't address why that's the case. Yeah, so she was another contender for extra mm, of the week. But we're also but... about to meet another one. Well, that's true, because um, <laughs> Poirot goes to find Hastings and he's under a car. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> much to Poirot's with distress. an urchin, which oh, surprised yeah. me because I thought this episode was very much going to focus around Hastings' war against <laughs> the urchins. But well, actually, he's, he's trying to ingratiate himself with them. You well, know. maybe the urchin he kills at the start is uh, an enemy <laughs> of this one, and he did it for this this other kid. And this other kid's really the mastermind. This is all amazing subplot that we're just not privy to, isn't it? Hastings <laughs> shot a child is what we're going yeah. for. Is the subplot of this episode? And sort of almost pre-confessed to it to the chief of police just to kind of gloat. <laughs> So he's under the car getting his story straight with this other kid. Yeah. I did it. He's dead. <laughs> Where's my money? I'll give you a shilling later, Hastings. But yeah, his name's Freddy, and then they crawl out from the, the car to start having Probably a just looks horrified at the idea that anyone would ever lie down in a public yeah, place. that anyone would ever have to touch a car, that anyone would lie down, that anyone is, like, doing manual labour when they don't have to, <laughs> and that, I guess, like, anyone is as grubby as Freddy seems to be. <laughs> Freddy is, who is uh, so folksy you almost can't hear what he says. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And he seems to have like heard everything and seen everything. Yeah, he's the happened. absolute master witness. Yeah, in this, in this, in this uh, brief 
crossover episode of Del Boy Origins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he gets sixpence for his trouble. Yeah, so he remembers, I, I guess it was only last night, right? But, yeah. Oh, he remembers that? a lot. Yeah, and he remembers, um, uh, like, a man showed up at this um, woman's flat. Um, a toothbrush he remembers it, And is he the one who says he has military stature? Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, Hastings stature, later governor. reports that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this legend can judge whether someone's been in the, in the army from how they walk. <laughs> uh, and he's right. child. <laughs> um, yeah, has a very good description of the guy. Um, and... Uh, remembers what the guy said. He doesn't know what the, what the lady said in reply to him. Uh, the guy said, um, well, think on it and get back to me. Um, and he doesn't know what she said in response to that. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much perfect. <laughs> um, and he remembers that it was the dude that shut the door on the encounter. Yeah. Although there's a lot of it in this episode of like people remembering things wrong and then correcting themselves. So he says, Oh, I think the lady shot. Uh, shut the door oh no no she never it was him um and then like distinctly remembers him slamming it really loudly which makes it strange that he got that wrong in the first place uh and then several people are confused about whether the victim was left-handed or right-handed and change their mind um this is also predominantly inspector jap doing this line of questioning which is not the first time in this episode that jap kind of totally takes the lead on the investigation like happens if this unusually i think in this episode no, I think Poirot does most of the questioning. It's just that Jap piles in at the end with his 6P question. Yeah, the 6P question, which is, <laughs> who closed the door? But you, you can get what Jap's thinking. I mean, he has a lot more of a yeah. an active role in this investigation than last week. Yeah, and, and right? later on, there's a there's a whole investigative scene that is 100% Jap, which I just thought was unusual for Poirot generally. Yeah, both <laughs> of the interrogators are Jap. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that there are two Inspector Japs in that scene. Mm. <laughs> and no Poirot. But we'll get there. We'll totally we'll get, get there. there. To my favourite extra. <laughs> but yeah, and then they, uh, Jap and uh, Poirot head on over to the world's worst fiancé, Charles <laughs> Laverton West. Um, who, so as soon as we saw him, I, I couldn't figure out why he was, so he's sit, he, he's a, I think he's a member of parliament or a politician of some kind, yeah. but he is sat in a dark oak lined room. And as the businessman kind of authority figure who shows up for two scenes mid, maybe through a pyro episode, that is the nature of his office because it normally is. <laughs> That's the one office they have. <laughs> um, um, but I was immediately like, why do I recognize him? And I couldn't figure it out. I had that feeling. As yeah. Well. And I was like, what, why do I recognize this actor? And I looked him up on IMDb and it was like, well, so the strange thing is I can't see anything else he's been in that I, I've seen, but apparently he was in Poirot for like 10 years or something. And it's like, how recurring is this role of the, <laughs> the, the indifferent fiance? Um, but actually this is the actor who will subsequently play George Poirot's valet. Mm. So there you go. There's, this is the first canonical appearance. I'm going to say this is canon. He is George. <laughs> he's, I didn't he's humbled by him the events of this episode. Jerk. <laughs> he so he is um uh yeah, he was engaged to the victim and when he's informed of her death, um uh he says dead in such a way that it appears to have multiple syllables. Dead <laughs> Um And he says, I don't believe it and then says what happened and they tell him and then He's more or less over it by that point. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he has oh, sorry, a moment I'm... of disbelief, but then he's well, like, oh, okay. Because they ask whether she was unhappy, and he uh, he's like, well, she was engaged to me. As if was like, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, she would be fine with that, but I feel like there's, yeah, there's ways of reading that. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and then his phone rings and he says, oh, sorry, I've got to take this. this is the prime minister. <laughs> and that's it. And then, and that's like, it. <laughs> he's immediately like smiling on the phone and says, no, no, not at all. Uh, which I assume is an answer to the question of like, is this a bad time? Yeah. <laughs> and like, no, my wife just died, but whatever. My fiance just died. It's like, but you know, I can't bring her back. So let's, let's <laughs> just... Lip, what? Yeah. yeah, he says that's quite, doesn't he? It's like, oh, you know, stiff upper lip. And Boris just like, sure. Fine. I think that was um, sort of uh, both... Uh, like an attempt to explain his behavior, but also like a bit of a dig at Poirot's foreignness, who sort of like, he, I think maybe he detected that Poirot w- was surprised by his lack of emotional response. And he was, um, uh, both explaining himself and also saying, oh, well, in England, we don't show, show that kind of. I think there's an implication in some of what he says about, cause it, he kind of slags off Barbara's friends, doesn't he? Or is that in his later scene? Uh, there's a low opinion of the major. Uh, okay. That's the later scene. Uh, yeah, that's the later scene. Okay, well, we'll get to that then. But so we get back to Poirot's place where he's penning a letter of complaint mm. to the bulldog breed laundry. <laughs> so, you know. Yes. And it gradually, uh, over the course of his uh, dictation to Miss Lemon, you find out that this is not the first, nor the second, nor the third letter of complaint to the laundry that yes. he has written. <laughs> and this this scene goes um, well to to a it pretty goes uncomfortable place. Places. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out that the the bulldog breed laundry, which is the one that Pyrocent is close to, is in fact Chinese owned, mm-hmm. and that the boy who collects and delivers the laundry doesn't understand English, and therefore has returned the letters that Pyro has been sending, uh, which is sort of okay so far. Except then Miss Lemon explains what she's been saying to him in order to, uh, which I'm not going to repeat. So I'd invite neither of you to repeat. <laughs> the, um, uh, she says the boy returns the le- letters to her and asks her to explain them to him. And, um, Pryor says, well, do you? And she says, no. <laughs> and then explains that she doesn't speak Chinese, <laughs> which is like reasonable, but also like, what the hell is going on in this interaction? Yeah. <laughs> what did he expect to happen? Like, it's like Poirot is finally finding out that none of these letters have actually gone anywhere. And Miss Lemon just hasn't bothered to tell him that there's been this whole undercurrent of, you know, sort of incomprehension that uh, she entirely knew about. But yeah, so, but didn't tell him. But she seems to have done that traditionally terribly terrible british thing of assuming that you will then be understood if you speak english but try and imitate the other person's accent yeah that's yes so she's she's got a phrase that she says in a kind of loud uh racist impression of of chinese but in english while gesturing at a collar and kind of hope that that would fix yes. the problem um and and Pyro looks sort of like, oh dear, I don't know. And then he turns to Hastings and says, but you lived in, in China, did you not? Hastings? And Trish Hastings says, oh yes, you know. Nice met, chaps. Nice, nice chaps. Uh, you know, but I had trouble with my laundry as well. Like, what did you tell them? And then Hastings says exactly what Miss Lemon says. And it turns out that she's gotten that phrase from Hastings because the person she asked was Hastings. And Pyro's just like, and did your laundry prove he's like well come to think of it no it's <laughs> like oh my god oh i so, suppose yeah. the best you can say for the whole thing is that it is at least mocking that tradition it is suggesting that it's not in any way effective <laughs> indeed but still it's like I, and it puts um... it puts hastings at the kind of root of this and he is often the butt of a lot of jokes i think so 
Poor Hastings. <laughs> uh, probably not a necessary scene, though, given that no. this plot thread goes absolutely nowhere. And it's not <laughs> yeah. important to the rest of the episode in any way. Well, I was kind of wondering, because uh, I'd forgotten most of this episode, so I was wondering whether either the dentist thing or the laundry thing would reassert themselves at the end in a kind of lull kind yeah, of Yeah, dentist thing in particular feels like it's going to come back to bite him, like his teeth will... Nice. Literally. Mm, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I, I've seen so many B or C plots where the main character is refusing to go to the dentist despite terrible pain. They break their tooth on an apple at the end or something. <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah. I don't know, because um, the rest of the scene, although it may be a bit throwaway, Tom, you were laughing at the... Um, you know when, when Hastings is saying, yeah, but you could solve this by having like your fold-down collars? Oh, yeah. Because they're quite oh, the yeah. thing. Um, Poirot is like, do you think Poirot concerns himself with this thingness? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Poirot is unconcerned with the thingness of any given thing. Fashion. And in fact, believes that turning down your collars is the start of the rot of your grey cells. Yes, the decay of the little grey cells. <laughs> Indeed. So you'll know this podcast is coming to an end because we'll all start wearing... Turn down colours. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, Tom's wearing I'm one wearing right one now. right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's grey. Um, I did. So yeah, you see, this whole that whole scene and the whole thing with the laundry not speaking English would be fine and and actually funny if they spoke French. <laughs> been dictating these letters in English only for Miss Lemon to come back and say, "Oh no, <laughs> that that would have worked and mm. gotten around this." But no, it is it is a bit. It, we all, I think, clenched our teeth at yeah. least um, when when that happened. But Jap shows up at the end of this scene, does he not? In a in a bit of a huff. Well, because they end up chatting about um, it matters more to do with the case and less to do with laundry. Um, <laughs> which you know, because th- I think they've figured out that um, Barbara Allen was being um, was being blackmailed. So that's a that's a red flag. <laughs> Yeah, a bizarre thing where, so she was, um, withdrawing cash on a regular basis, um. 200 whole pounds at a time! And then, are we on the scene where they confront the flatmate about it? We're about to be. Mm. Yeah, they go over there, don't they? To the gardens. And they put, put it to her that the, uh, perhaps the major, they ask her if she knows who, um, who this character who's visiting her might have been, and she says, Major Eustace. Um, and then they said, oh, um, would it surprise you if we said we thought he was blackmailing her? And, uh, she says, of course, of course. <laughs> this makes perfect sense, but then does not in any way explain how it makes sense or what she was being She's blackmailed about. She's doing a lot of acting, Tom. She <laughs> However, for the rest of this scene, and it's quite a long multi-part scene, she is constantly doing long side eyes at Poirot <laughs> yep. while the spooky cello returns from episode one, just <laughs> picks up in the background behind it every time she does it. No, you, she couldn't look more suspicious for a sustained period of about five minutes. If she tried. There's to the me, least convincing loss of a key to a, a cupboard under oh yeah, the stairs yeah. that anyone has ever encountered. But even, I'm still stuck on the blackmail thing because the, uh, Poirot and co, um, uh, suspects of blackmail from the money payments, but I don't think they know what the blackmail is, right? They don't, they, what it turns out to be is, is something that I don't think they would have any way of knowing at this point. Um, and, uh, really she knows, wave, actually. yeah, she knows, um, and not only, does she know but also it's um part of the story she wants the police to believe but even so she doesn't volunteer the information and even so they don't ask the information and as a viewer you really want to know like if it's a blackmail thing if she's literally killed over blackmail 
you really want to know in what sense was she been blackmailed? Why was she vulnerable to blackmail? What What is the secret? Just tell me something. Ballpark. <laughs> but no, no one mentions it. They just move on. They just have the world's most bizarrely suspicious briefcase encounter and <laughs> yeah. then have to sort of go about their business because yeah. it's all so inconclusive It's, and it's weird. worth dwelling on how weird that scene is because she Jap goes to look around the house and Pyro sits down with her in silence. <laughs> and she just says, like, cigarette? And he goes... You're very kind. She sort of invites him to sit down, and it's kind of weird because there's a search going on. Mm. You think like Poirot would, would be interested in that, but um, <laughs> he's not. I guess he knows what's, what's yeah. going to be found. And then Jack comes back and says, "Do you have the key for the cupboard under the stairs?" And she's like, "No." And he goes, "Well, <laughs> uh, like we'll have to break it in." She goes, "Yes." And then <laughs> goes and gets it. Yeah. Also, uh, it's like, oh no, we have to we have to keep it locked up because of umbrella thieves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes umbrellas come in. And then there are no umbrellas in it. There's golf clubs and a briefcase, but that's it. Or I guess the umbrella thieves were like, just proof of her. <laughs> she said that would have been amazing. Those <laughs> damn You just see a bunch of like urchins <laughs> flying past like a Mary Poppins, just like... <laughs> Floating off while yeah. uh, Hastings chase. Hastings takes pot shots at them. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> oh, Finish God. you all off. Is she still wearing red at this point? Because that seems to be her motif. Yeah, she wears all is, red. She's yeah, she's she's, she's her, quite vampy. She's sort of actually. I don't think she's, she's wearing a pantsuit. Point. She's, she's wearing yeah. She's wearing like a black floral kind of design pantsuit, pantsuit thing. Suit, her behaviour in this scene, her facial acting in particular, could be best compared to the L.A. Noir scene, <laughs> in which the <laughs> guy <laughs> unconvincingly lies on his porch. <laughs> Oh god! Yeah, yeah. It's not convincing. It's basically the no. Thing. She's the most suspicious person. But armed with this information about Major Eustace, they go to see the world's worst fiance at his swimming pool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as he wanders around in a in bathrobe. Yeah, and what flip flops? But he's a member of Parliament. Flip flops, <laughs> <laughs> and sort of talk to him about oh, like oh. And he also. Uh, so he believes it's impossible that she's dead at first and now in this scene he believes it's impossible she could have been murdered mm. uh, which is strange because the alternative explanation is that she killed herself and uh, by his own account the entire was, thing's impossible yeah uh, he's moved on he's not bothered you would, you would think he would be quite keen on the murder theory because his whole story is that oh she couldn't possibly have killed herself because she was engaged to me you know, that but I think he just he wants it out of the papers, happy. so whatever's going to be the least faff <laughs> on that but maybe front. it was natural causes <laughs> an aneurysm left her brain <laughs> through the skull but yeah and and um he sort of says that he didn't like major eustace but then basically says well she would have had to cut most people about out of her life yeah. if, if we'd got married so you know i didn't approve of anyone <laughs> so, it's like oh well yeah, <laughs> what a terrible jerk you are <laughs> but i think that's kind of about it for that scene isn't it and, and really? that character just... indeed yeah and i still don't understand why um uh, both he and the flatmates, when asked whether the victim was left-handed, they say they don't know at first. And then they say, um, oh no, I think she was right-handed. And then they both use the same turn of phrase, which is, no, I'm sure she was right-handed. Well, hang on. Do you know what handed I am? Uh, no. Do you know what handed Chris is? Not engaged either. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not so much that he does or doesn't know, it's that... Uh, he is sure and wrong. <laughs> but he's the world's worst fiancé. And if he's just going to guess, he might as well guess right-handed because that's statistically more likely, right? <laughs> but why would he guess? Like, the police are specifically asking, is she left-handed? They're not saying what handedness was she. They think she's left-handed and he corrects them 
And but I says, think that no, he's just like that pegs him as an idiot and a terrible fiance. Well, as we I all think know. an idiot just wouldn't know. Like, but I mean, he's, any, he's a member of the British sure. aristocracy. They're very <laughs> sure about what they don't know. Tom. So, it, it's, in his case, it's weird that he's sure and wrong, and in her case, it's weird that she's at all unsure because her story hinges on it being not true well i think she just sort of has to so we're gonna yeah I'll, uh, yeah i want to return yeah. to that point a little bit later um but yes i mean also maybe he's afraid that her being left-handed would be a source of shame on him i, don't know. <laughs> I think he is but i mean it fits his character as the terrible fiance does it not it does yes it's, you know just a, a he just has a loud reckon basically he just reckons it and that's enough <laughs> i mean so does hastings it's just that we happen to like him yeah that's true <laughs> hang on no <laughs> well, no. If you engage someone, you put the ring on a certain hand, right? You... But it has to be your left hand. That's where that's the the ring finger. Oh, it's always left. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't <laughs> it's really not matter. relative to, to what you do. That would at least, from that point forward, though, he'd be more aware of which hand was which when observing her <laughs> doing household tasks. <laughs> he'd be really thrown off if anyone looked in a mirror, though. <laughs> like, I don't know who you are. Well, What's many of our on? running theories while watching this episode involved mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Mirror dimensions. Mirror dimensions in my case. That's very true. Um, maybe he's never met her. Maybe that's the twist. Maybe he's so detached. <laughs> I from actually, that. another theory I had was that the, um, there'd been an identity switch and it was actually the one we'd met was, is the person that she was saying was dead. <laughs> right. Mm. Mm. That's not the case though. Nope. <laughs> but we leave the pool and mm. we go to the Chinese theme bar. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So actually, thank God, this this really feels like it's going to go to an even more orientalist and racist place than the earlier scene with um with uh, Hastings' racist laundry patter. But um, it doesn't quite get as bad. It's more just like a theme bar from a different time. It feels more like yeah. it's, it's not mm. in the way of like there's a you know, like a kind of cabaret singer singing a song about. East Asia, but br- broadly avoiding. Well, it, out- it mm. yeah, some it's yes, yeah. it attempts to educate the listener to the geography of East Asia. Indeed, <laughs> it's like the Animaniac song. But <laughs> I like but that sexy. you pointed out that someone was clopping. Um, <laughs> There's like definitely someone, in the some unseen band member is really loudly playing the coconut. <laughs> Like, or there's a horse in the room. Yeah. We, well, our, <laughs> the this is, this is the mystery. Time. <laughs> yeah. Just like, so, yeah. A horse is either really into that song <laughs> or someone is play, playing the coconuts. One of those two things is true. You can't have both. This is, my- <laughs> could it be a horse playing the coconuts? Um, maybe that would be a twist. <laughs> and they're like, Barry, you don't need the coconuts. Your who's make that sound already. <laughs> <laughs> don't teach you can me just my clap. Heart. For you, clapping is playing the coconuts. <laughs> Oh god. But yeah, this is where Major Eustace hangs out. And uh I I kept trying to place him because I figured I knew him from somewhere. Um he's uh Uncle Jeffrey from Bridget Jones films. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um but these the principal in- investigator in this scene is Inspector Jap and also Inspector Jap. As yeah. the door opens, and what can only be described as two Inspector Japs walk in. His and stunt double accidentally came into the scene. It's and really, just sort so of went, oh, do this, you know what? This, continuity will keep you here. good as exposition urchin was, um, second Jap, whatever you want to call him, like... Um, double Jappity as well. Yeah, yeah <laughs> nice, I like yeah. that one. I think that yeah, works. D- double Jappity, as, <laughs> as he shall be known, <laughs> um, is uh, my my personal vote for extra of the... He has a speaking role, so it's not full. Not five-year-old maid. 
not five-year-old maid mm. he gets my vote for extra of the episode uh predominantly because one it's weird you don't this scene doesn't need him <laughs> there it could just be jack going to investigate the suspect yeah that's true um uh, and also he looks so much like jack that that's strange he's just wearing a hat that's the only way you can tell that they're different um this plays into maybe what will become a series running theory that there are two inspector japs and also <laughs> which would explain why one of them is good friends with paro <laughs> yeah. and the other one isn't <laughs> like um so i'm gonna call this like prime timeline Jap and mirror dimension Jap. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> That's why the victim appeared to be left handed. <laughs> Indeed. Um because yes, yeah, she was shot by mirror dimension instead of Jap. <laughs> anyway, the only reason I want to vote for him for extra of the episode is purely because of a moment that I will try and give or someone should give from right at the beginning when he goes to talk to the barman to find I think Jap goes to speak to the barman in order to find Major Eustace. And there's quite a lot of characters patched into the scene and somehow the extra playing uh, double Jeopardy manages to find like a crook between someone's elbow and someone else's face where he can kind of almost peer directly at the camera (laughs) through a narrow gap in other characters which is absolute grade a you know okay emoji like find the most of making your most of your screen time as as a bit role it's it's i mean also accepted a cigarette where jab didn't so he had a speaking role (laughs) i liked that when uh jab actually interviews the major there's only two seats at the table. So second Jap just has to stand there. <laughs> Couldn't be more obvious that he's not needed in this scene. This is a prime dimension chair. <laughs> Double Jap. So much detecting though, Jap, for a change. Like usually he has to do all of this off screen. Because this is quite a long scene, relative, and he and Pyro is not involved, right? Like no, indeed, and he's like interrogating Eustace, and kind of Eustace is being all you know suspicious about the fact that oh actually yeah no i i've misremembered about you know things that freddie said that he said and you know it becomes clear that he was blackmailing um barbara allen right mm. so, yes and, and also that he has the keys to the gin cabinet at this place right. <laughs> but, but doesn't <laughs> own the explained. place <laughs> like, like why does he have it's the like key? if you, it's like getting the keys to the city like if you're a hero to gin they give you the key to the gin cabinet because so- th- th- this is like i went through a roller coaster with this whole thing because uh, initially like someone just interrupts their conversation to say oh we, we, uh, someone needs some gin and at first i thought like oh we need to get a bottle of gin from the cabinet or something and and uh, he moves as if to get up and i'm like really you need him to actually go and personally fetch you the gin uh, but no he's just getting the key to the gin cabinet which then causes uh jap or or jap to <laughs> i don't remember which one um to uh, say oh you own this place do you and he says no i wish uh what a money maker but that doesn't explain why he would then be <laughs> the one who <laughs> I mean, I that maybe he's the manager or something so he's on the premises uh, and it's kind of vaguely looking after it well he's probably sick of urchin stealing the gin and the umbrellas from the cabinet <laughs> So he locked yeah. it up. Really yeah, that's actually the second pointedly locked cupboard in the episode. <laughs> yeah. But we've established that, you know, locks do not stop umbrella thieves. No. I don't see why it would stop gin thieves. If that scene had gone 30 seconds longer, the guy would have come back and said, all the gin's gone. <laughs> <laughs> the have got it. But yeah, we also established... It's just full that- of umbrellas now. <laughs> That Major Eustace has no, uh, one of his cufflinks is broken in the yeah, way. He's still wearing the broken pair of cufflinks I rather know, than, for example, going without cufflinks. 
Well, yeah, well you only right? noticed it that morning. So, so mm. credit to the costume designer and, and makeup and stuff for the scene because he looks kind of sweaty and disheveled despite being very well turned out in the manner of a man who hasn't gone home and has only been drinking gin, which is mm. probably why he's in <laughs> gin cabinet for like a couple of days. So my impression of him is that he would be the person who would lose a cufflink and not notice and just keep wandering around in his suit getting sourced. Hmm. Do you know his name? You get you get told his full name during the scene because of do. his arrest. Do you remember it? Um, Major y- Eustess. <laughs> <laughs> Major uh, Uriel Stess. At this point, do you know whether it's his first name or last name? <laughs> it's, I think Eustace is his last name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. would be my assumption. Uh, uh, Barry Allen Eustace. His name's Robert Erskine Eustace. <laughs> I remember his middle name sticking out to me when we heard it, but yes, you're right. Bob Eustace. <laughs> but yeah, so off he pops to, to Arrestville. Yes, prison. <laughs> That's what the police call <laughs> Taking you to Arrestville, Sonny Jim. Well, and so, like, and then there's like a tiny detour where Poirot nips back to the cupboard under the stairs, probably because he needs an umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> Via um, a very sweet maid sort of lets him in because her husband's oh, yeah. a fan of Poirot. Housekeeper, I think. Housekeeper, yeah. Uh, no, because yes, because you're right, because the tiny maid's already been gone. Well. Uh, but I liked this because Poirot was genuinely kind to her. And then, really pleased that she'd heard of him. Yes, <laughs> like, those two things. But he's thrilled. very he's very gracious. Well, hang on, isn't it a bit of a, a burn, as in, like, she says, oh, my husband's always reading about you in the papers and telling me about it, and it's like, but then as she sort of talks, as he goes to the cupboard under the stairs, she's a bit like, I don't know why he reads all that rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like yeah, that. the burn happens quite late, but before that point, Pyro's already been nice to her. Yeah, and it does Aww. reinforce the sense that Pyro's quite nice to... Maybe he learnt something from the whole Clapham Cook thing. Yeah, maybe he it's, did. I think it's a, a bit of a downgrade, like, if she'd opened with, oh, my husband really follows your exploits, that'd be a bit of a um uh, a lot less appealing to Poirot's vanity but because she opens with like she has heard of him he's really pleased about that but this was like a, a very um uh Columbo always did it in a um meant it as a compliment but he would always tell people that his wife was super into them every mm. famous person he ever meets says, oh my wife loves your albums you've got yeah, every like, album I've never heard of you but my wife loves your, yeah he doesn't know you. anything or <laughs> follow yeah. any of it and he says it in a really deferential way but I always think like it's also might be slightly aggravating to the person like oh you haven't you don't care then huh? do you think that Mrs. Jap would be the opposite of that because Jap <laughs> would just be like my wife hates you <laughs> she has a lot of contempt for anything that brings other people joy <laughs> And loud noises. Well, we're going to, you know, it'll, that, I mean, that, that plot threat won't really be resolved until Jap's wife runs off with Mirror Dimension Jap. In- <laughs> Actually, it'd be amazing if this housekeeper is Columbo's wife and <laughs> Columbo's oh, always God. telling everyone that his wife loves their thing and she's telling everyone, oh, my husband thinks you're great. <laughs> Neither of them like anything. <laughs> it's like we don't have our own opinions. We're just lost in this world of nonsense. In any case, Poirot opens the cupboard under the stairs to reveal that both the golf clubs and the briefcase are gone. So what's the point of the cupboard? I mean, at this point... The <laughs> urchins have gotten in. <laughs> urchins! <laughs> she doesn't seem that bothered, the, the housekeeper. It's just, you know, It'd be great if they'd left their trademark firework. <laughs> if it somehow gets Hastings yeah. again. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> oh. But yeah, so then then off everyone goes to the golf course. <laughs> so yeah, this is an amazing yeah. sequence because so um yeah, so the the housekeeper tells Poirot that uh 
the housemate, the surviving of the two ladies, obviously, has gone to play golf. This is Miss Plenderleaf. Miss Plenderleaf. Miss Plenderleaf. Um, has gone, um, Actually, to play golf. You say obviously it's the one who survived who went to play golf, but there is somebody who who seems uh, especially annoyed that this person would play golf while the uh, the other person is still in the morgue. She's oh, yeah. sort of impatient oh, yeah. with the idea that this person is still in the morgue. Like she's still in the morgue. The one's still in the morgue. It's like and her lying um, cold down in the morgue. She's not even up and playing golf again yet. We know that Miss <laughs> Penderleaf has, has definitely gone to play golf because it cuts to her wearing every piece of golf clothing <laughs> imaginable in bright red. Yeah, there's an amazing. Well, except for her tweed skirt. Yes, <laughs> like, true. But she's she is very much like wearing all of the things that signpost golfing. Yeah, indeed. As is everyone except uh, Poirot, of course. Yeah, um, that's true. He's still there in his his starched collars and his yeah. suit. But they've under starched to- or over starched collars. We're not sure which. <laughs> they've gotten to track her down at the golf course, and you would think that you could just walk to the part of the golf course <laughs> if you're where the fucking she police. is. Yeah. yeah, if you were the police. But no, they must play a full round. Of golf faster than her and teach it to Poirot. Poirot must be involved. There's no way they could just play. (laughs) The strategy involves you must legitimately play golf and also all of you must play golf. And Poirot must play golf even though Poirot's never played golf before and doesn't really understand golf. Apart from the fact that he's amazing at it. Well, it's, you know, you just hit the ball into the hole, Chris. It's very simple. (laughs) And Hastings is like, yeah, very simple. You know, I I think he's prepared to have a bit of fun at his friend's expense. And then Poirot absolutely spanks him at golf. I thought uh, Poirot's swagger here was very good, actually, which is like when he's lying out with shot, he asks, am I allowed to hit the flag? (laughs) (laughs) He absolutely hustles Hastings. Yeah, And then he says like, Oh, I do not think it's going to hit the flag. Yeah. And, um, and then it just rolls perfectly onto the green. Yeah. Hastings like, oh yeah, it's poor luck. There's two reaction shots of also good extras. There's a lot of good extras in the episode who are just some assorted golf men. Basically, they're just men with golf Golf turned up to maximum, like in their being. (laughs) On the character slider. (laughs) Creation slider. Golf on 11, please. Yeah, it's golf really to 11. And, and they're initially like, oh, we're going to have to, we're going to wait here for ages. When before Pyro takes his shot, he's an obvious novice. And then when Pyro takes his amazing shot, they're all like, oh, wow, we're not going to be here for ages. And that's their only involvement in this episode. It's very good. Things have gone well for us today. But then... It, the plan is scuppered anyway because uh, Hastings is slowing them down from this point on. <laughs> Hastings is taking many shots, all of the shots. Yeah, and then so they feel they have to play legitimate golf in order to get close to her, but then also they just sneak up on her. Or, or Poirot attempts so to sneak up on her. Because they see her, that, like she's so far ahead that she's coming back the other way. So like they're they're kind of intersecting on yeah. a different. Couldn't hole. they have got to her faster by not playing golf well, at all and just standing there? Oh. Like so I think. I think the reason that this is tenuous that they have to play golf to chase her around the golf track, <laughs> golf course, um, is the because the links, I believe, um, is because, um, Poirot finds, I don't know how, but on every course, he finds a broken golf club. Mm. Yeah. And even though these are big golf courses, big golf holes, big linkses, big linkses, <laughs> they're, they're into massive links. Um, and, um, it's linkses all the way down. It is. Um, this, yeah. Uh, and, um, and he, he somehow finds, like he just, he shows him just walking into the undergrowth and just finding a golf club. Like how you do that on a place like that? I don't know. <laughs> He's Magic. good at golf. He's very good at golf. Very good at golf and detecting golf. 
He's a detective. Related. That's yeah. well. That's what he does. He's a, it's his job. It's his. It's who he is. But Hastings is is very um, uh, okay with this. He's very very, <laughs> He's very red. red. He's, very, He's also very, okay very with red top. with the extremely similarly snapped golf clubs because he explains people do break golf clubs. Is he saying they break golf clubs in anger? Yes. Yeah. Right. He was uh, he was basically saying, oh, someone's having a bad day. Yeah. So. That's the thing that you do, I guess, because these are wood golf clubs, we should say, mm. like with metal heads, but the rest of it is wood. And so, uh, I guess people would get so furious with the extremely relaxing sport of golf. <laughs> they smash their clubs on the grass, which must take some force. I don't know. Have you never lost your temper with something that's supposed to be sedate, Tom? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I can't think of it. <laughs> uh huh. Anyway, moving swiftly. <laughs> so nonetheless, they, they do find a couple of these golf clubs, which Poirot suspects... Uh, Three, I believe. Pe- yes, that Miss Plenderleith is breaking herself for some reason. Mm. Um, and then they see through the bushes, because she's wearing bright red golf clothes, <laughs> Miss Plenderleith herself, who is also sneaking off into the bushes. Well, no, she isn't at that point, but then she starts to as they watch her because Hastings is like, what are you doing down there in those bushes? <laughs> yeah. and Having a good hide Watch in the her. bushes, Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> Stealth mode, eh, Poirot? Good job. <laughs> so then they, they, the least inconspicuous men in the universe crouch in the ferns to watch <laughs> the least inconspicuous woman in the universe hurl a briefcase into a pond and then like scuttle off on her merry way. <laughs> it turns mm. out we find out in back in Pyro's house, um as as a Jap is closing the very water stained briefcase, that it only contains some magazines and a stone. Uh, several stones to weigh it down. Yeah, but that was it. Huh. So so at this point, uh he looks quite put out. He's, he's confounded. He? Pyro, so. by this point, has already said to Hastings, like, we must, I have solved the murder. And gather the everyone. The golf clubs in- kept him up all night, he was saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, the sad. broken golf clubs. <laughs> not the murder. He lost know, sleep not, over that. Just, you know, <laughs> golf Necks clubs. all broken. <laughs> but yeah, so Miss Plenderleith comes in fresh, well, not fresh, but sort of in, in full mourning from the funeral that she has just attended. Mm. And, uh, is is sort of required to listen to Poirot theorising for a time. <laughs> so this is actually, uh, in terms of the show chronology, the first proper Poirot drawing room, drawing room. scene. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Although unlike most subsequent ones, or like particularly later ones, it doesn't involve literally every character with a name in the episode. <laughs> like if it was tr- like a full drawing room scene, the fiance would be there. Mrs. Pierce would have been Mrs. there. Mrs. Pierce, the housekeeper. the housekeeper would have been there. Uh, Eustace would have been there with Bobby's guarding him. You know, you know what I mean? Like they would have gone all out. Terrible fiance. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Prime it's Minister. Ju- Indeed. <laughs> All five urchins. Oh no, four now. Um. But I love how, because this is the first time he's done this, he defines murder for her. Yes. Oh yes, he says. Yeah. He... It's the destruction of one human being by another. Yes, but there's actually, there's a reason. I mean, he... there is a point that he's making there. But, we'll yeah. get to it. So, what does, what does Pyro reveal? Well, uh, Poirot reveals that the importance of the smell that he's been taunting Jap with for a time, which is that there was no smell. And uh, that's a peculiar when you have nine cigarette stubs in an ashtray in a room. You Unless your dog has no nose. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You see what you did. Um, 
And also Hastings has a moment of brilliance in that he remembers that there was a letter sent, but but there was no blotting paper, which is why Poirot was going through all yeah. the bins. Poirot definitely did already know that, but he does humour Hastings with He the... over-congratulates Hastings. There's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a lot of, oh, we're done, Hastings! <laughs> <laughs> you thought of a thing. <laughs> Poor Hastings. Poor Hastings. Mm. And like also, you know, just other uh, other things that have been moved or changed. Um, to So, yeah, it's a very laboured explanation that she definitely was left-handed. So it's the watch thing. It's the fact that her writing desk was configured for a left-handed person, which Pyro has to demonstrate at quite substantial length. Yeah. No, rearranging was... his own writing desk before they figure out that he's left-handed. Wasn't it that it was configured for a right-handed person, but that was all stuff that the um, her housemate had moved to convince them that she no. was right-handed, but that she'd been cack-handedly, um, like, uh, been made to look like she I don't think so. And so this is the important thing, because... So, hang on. I'm going to sneeze. This is the important thing. Bless you. Could have filled the silence there, everybody, rather than just let me sneeze. Well, what did you want us to do? Um, You were talking. (laughs) I kind of, I think we should get to the end of the, what Pyro's about to say before we dwell on that particular point, but there's something that really doesn't add up. (laughs) Oh, sorry, yes, no. (laughs) And that wasn't what Pyro was about to say, was a distant sneeze as I attempt to mute my microphone. Well... I think, well, essentially, like, the point that he's making is that actually she, it was what was initially theorised, which was that she had killed herself, but that Miss Plenderleith had tried to frame Major Eustace because the suicide letter had implicated him and sort of explained that he was blackmailing her and it was all terrible and she didn't want the world's terrible fiancé, the world's most terrible fiancé to to have to be sort of associated Mm. with her and so on and so forth. Yes. So, and so, yes. And so the reason Pyro explained the concept of murder at the start was because he wants to express to her that this was an attempted murder, that this, you know, by framing Eustace and potentially getting him hanged, that she was also trying to destroy her life and so on. There is a, quite a few things that don't quite add up to me about this. One Not is, least that she swans off at the end. Yeah, so she just walks a, away. You know, like, <laughs> surely perverting the course of justice. And, and Jap is there. <laughs> it's like, well, right there. you can't catch them if they decide to walk. She sounds remorseful, so... Yeah. Well, she sounds, she sounds annoyed that she didn't actually want him to die at the end. Yeah, she says, like, so he says to me, like, could you destroy your life? And she says... No, I wish I could, but I can't. But it's mm. like, but in a, in not confessing, you you definitely could, ladies. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so the, the one thing, like, there's an interesting thing here, which is that she is essentially taking her form of revenge against the really shit situation. And Eustace does belong in prison, but as a blackmailer rather than as a murderer. Mm. Um, and so she's not a traditional villain. You know what I mean? She's not a secret plot. She doesn't benefit from it personally. It's because of her sense of justice, mm. which is misgiven, but, but nonetheless. And so there's a sense that the justice coming down on her could be a little bit unjust, but I quite like that Poirot doesn't dwell on the kind of impropriety of it, but on the fact that Poirot at his core sees the taking of life in any way as completely abhorrent. Some like, and some, because he does have moments where he's, where his sense of justice conflicts with what the law would say is, hmm. 
you know, the right thing to do. And he kind of somehow, sometimes maybe takes advantage of his own position to, you know, to, to bend the world a bit to his will, which is kind of an interesting thing to maybe look back on this episode through the prism of if it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. Or when it happens again, I suppose I should say. A few things about this plot itself though that bother me one is that so she finds this suicide note that says she's taking her own life because of this blackmail and like burns it burns the entire thing whereas presumably the half of that letter that talks about being blackmailed i don't know it's like that's obviously she wants to hide the evidence that she killed herself but there's sort of you know the rest of that main thing is is that she puts the gun in her left hand again and then just this really convoluted thing about trying to make it look like she wasn't left you know what i mean it's sort of strange to i suppose you i suppose my question is is a 30s itv exit wound obvious enough to know which side of her head she was shot in well so one yes but two i mean you could have done it the other way around as in if everybody or if her closest friends would theoretically know that she was left-handed. Why not put the gun in her? Oh no, I suppose because yeah, the wound. The exit wound, right? Outside. But like that could that but could be part of it. Like sense. you want you want it to look like a murder. So the fact that that doesn't add up is kind of yes, exactly. Like she makes it half add up and yeah. then relies on people getting half but of the way. No, but she makes it like sufficiently. Or I I get the feeling that it's it's supposed to be that she made it sufficiently awkward or like a, a kind of ham-fisted attempt at framing a thing or like at selling it doesn't need to be i don't think like how close it looks to a suicide is going to play in much to the police's willingness to believe that eustace did it like they don't really have um it's not like they would think oh this doesn't look enough like a suicide so maybe eustace couldn't have done it (laughs) like the main thing is they need to believe it's a murder um which they actually uh kind of go back and forth on um and the fact that it's a sloppy job can be explained in a million different ways Mm. Uh, so I think she, like the method of putting it in the wrong hand and not lying about uh, her handedness and admitting she was uh, saying she was left-handed um, is better because then she's not lying, and you know the fact that she lies about the about that and obviously ineffectively because it's really yeah. hard to cover up all the bases on them. On because that. that's the thing is she gets caught kind of because of the golf clubs thing because she's breaking the golf clubs because they were actually Barbara's golf clubs and they yeah. showed that she was left-handed. <laughs> so if you do so it, elaborate. if you do it in a way that the confusing thing doesn't rely on hiding the fact that uh, hiding the fact, hiding all of her possessions that indicate that she was left-handed, then that becomes easier to yeah. do. I don't know. I'm not I guess gonna, like, if you do it in the spur of a moment though, you know, it's like suddenly then yeah. you're playing catch up with life you know for sure yeah it's just it's a it's a strange one in the way it fits together it's not spectacularly neat neither on the planning nor in the the resolution mm. but yeah and so but that's it doesn't really seem to to resolve either it just says Poirot's gonna take everyone out for lunch yeah Poirot and just then, says and now we'll go for lunch <laughs> and then it ends and then no one revisits the laundry no one revisits the tooth situation it's <laughs> no I, one brings Hastings to justice <laughs> no, no Freddy funeral is, for the urchin yeah, the other with him? the other inspector Jap never appears again <laughs> I think he turns up in a few episodes, if I remember rightly. Well, I mean, I mean, presumably. I mean, obviously, Mirror Jap is, you know, and now part of the, <laughs> the law that we've been building for ourselves. But <laughs> indeed, but yes, um, 
And uh, and then Hastings declares, well, I'll be jiggered. Uh, kind of like, you know. He does puncture a very pointed silence between Paro and the person Paro has just... He's wearing an amazing sweater, though. He is. I really he like is. that. He is. Why do they invite him to places? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh, and then that's the, that's the thing that sort of was a bit, uh, to me, was that the black the subject of blackmail takes forever to actually come oh, up yeah. and then it's just sort of like oh yeah no she had a baby with, with a married man while she was in india and the child died and you're kind of mm. like oh okay but that's given that's given exactly as much time as i just gave it in the episode yeah, yeah. and is then just yeah because there are similar plot points to this in other in later power mysteries that are much more seeded throughout the episode like something dark and i can't help past. um reiterating there was a really good time for that information there was a time when the lack of that information was really annoying and conspicuous oh that doesn't blackmail make any sense. that seems very feasible i'm amazed i didn't think of it but then, don't, don't, don't think i can't ask. say why <laughs> to be fair though if we're going to talk about if we're going to start pulling up early season poirot based on you know short stories you know over True. over leaving plot threads dangling hmm. then you know we should probably revisit the clapham cook and the fact that that poor lady is gonna get turfed out of that house having quit her job in six months time <laughs> and Poirot just was you know has a picture of or has a check for for doing a great job on a wall you know or not yeah for doing a great job but relating to also the fact that uh this mp is apparently Poirot's valet so say <laughs> <laughs> like, oh you know well you don't get too attached so perhaps you'll be useful in this <laughs> what did um uh, what was their theory on Eustace doing it? Eustace is blackmailing her, but then why would he kill her? It's uh, an excellent point. Maybe because she refused to give him more money or, you know. Isn't the thing you do in the blackmail situation <laughs> when they stop paying you is to reveal the information, right? Not to kill them. That's very true. Because <laughs> usually, like, blackmail yes, is one of the no most... <laughs> blackmail is one of, oh, it's one of the most, mo- neither, most common motives, Jap, but it's always... Neither the Jap, pick up on that. Yeah. Blackmail is the mo- most common motive in murder mysteries, but it's the other way around, right? It's the blackmailer who gets killed. Yes, not she would have to be blackmailing him. Yeah. I tell you what, though, I can't absolutely swear to know everything that they asked him in that interview because I was suddenly distracted by the gin cupboard. <laughs> yeah, so that was the bigger I, mystery. <laughs> I absolutely... And also just the fact that Mirajab was there at all, so I can't swear to have heard everything. What with Mirajab and the gin cupboard? <laughs> no <laughs> chance of following this conversation. <laughs> so they may well have entirely covered that point. Yeah, there's this really, really like completely satisfactory, compelling explanation right in the centre of this, and we all missed it. <laughs> but you're right, that doesn't make any sense. Because it has to make sense both for them to be interested in him as a suspect and so the, I, I the guess, flatmate has to believe it as well. I guess they so go for him because his cufflink and cigarettes and things put him yeah, the in evidence her room. Is, is pretty right? bad. It's not so much motive, it's that he was there. Yeah. So maybe he killed her in a scuffle or something in there. Yeah. I think in a weird way the, the I guess maybe of, um, of the lack of coherence of all of this just sort of serves to shore up the fact that maybe that Miss Plenderleith would have done this in a hurry as a kind of knee jerk response having read the the suicide mm. letter rather than you know it being a, a premeditated all bases covered everything makes sense. Yeah. Escapade. And I guess one theory could be just that um, she'd had enough of the blackmail and like attacked him, and then he mm. shot her, and that was what happened. Un crime passionnel, or something. <laughs> Un crème caramel. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I think I think that's it for for the murder in the muse. The yep, answer was there wasn't a murder. No, there was an attempted framing. The attempted, an attempted arrestville. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that would have given too much away. Unless whoever Hastings, Unless Hastings killed an urchin. That's yeah. the, so that was that, murder that in the muse. That was the real murder in the muse. Is what we've so we've uncovered the plot. We've solved the murder. <laughs> so and good job, everyone. It was bonfire night. So easy ways of disposing the body. Oh God, don't! That's awful. I, I think that's the plot of um, an episode of Bones. Really? Yeah, I think so. Mm. There's like a a guy that is being lowered onto a thing, and everyone from the rival football club team team, yes, yep, um, at Lynx, the university <laughs> shoots at it, and then, but it's actually it, it is a body, but the body was maybe already dead, and oh, it's, no. it's all just it. Does, I watched it on a plane. It's bones. I've never really followed bones. So. Does bones walk up to the ashes of the fire and say, "Wait, these look like." Bones. Oh, God. <laughs> Takes his sunglasses off. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> she is actually called Bones, though, right? That's her nickname. It's her nickname, yeah. So, and then, yeah. I, I never She's watched the She's the doctor order. on the Enterprise. Is she? No. No, no she's not. <laughs> uh, Non-Bones is Angel. <laughs> I know that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I believe that's his nickname, Non-Bones. <laughs> Oh, thank God you're here, non-bones. Flesh. Maybe non-bone related help. <laughs> Maybe flesh and flesh bones. And bones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should stop. Indeed. <laughs> have we worked out a good? Have we worked out a good sign-off for these things? We don't. Oh, well, I mean, they can. They're allowed to end. We should just. I mean, say next episode. You could join us next episode for. I believe it's the disappearance of Johnny Waverley. The adventure Maybe. of Johnny Waverley. Yeah. Johnny Waverly. Johnny Waverly. Who's that? We'll J-Dubs. find out. <laughs> let's, let's investigate him next time. <laughs> Catch you then. Hang on, do we need to do Twitter things? You could do if you like. Okay, Tom, who are you on Twitter if people I'm... want to take issue with any of your <laughs> theory? I'm at John <laughs> Waverly. <laughs> uh, I'm at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Chris? And I'm at C. Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Nice. Good. <laughs> Eventually we all struggle with our own Twitter name. <laughs> and I'm at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. You mean Philippa War, right? Shut up. See you next <laughs> week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.